Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, Eric, I like to think we do an okay job in this podcast, you know. It's not exactly Edward R. Murrow journalism, but we do a serviceable job. Sure. Keeping people informed and possibly entertained. Um, honestly, between you and me, well, and I guess listening um i'm pretty pleased with the job we've done of remembering uh, marvin Hagler over the last couple of weeks um unfortunately i haven't told you this before uh this is actually really crushing to me uh, i just heard from an acquaintance actually of the marvelous one uh, that it turns out that our fondness for the middleweight champion wasn't reciprocated uh not long actually before he passed away he apparently heard an episode of the pod and his review was simply very bad <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, well, he he must have heard an, an old episode of our HBO podcast. Probably. Right? No, nobody could possibly say that about Probably the one of the ones version. when I was gone. Probably something you did with, <laughs> oh, I don't know, ow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, could have could have been one of those. I could I could see him saying very bad to that. Uh, but yeah, no, I I, I love that story Steve Farhood told last week about Hagler's two word review of the magazine article he handed him, and I've started incorporating it into my everyday life. Actually, making it my catchphrase. Uh, like <laughs> if I go to the supermarket and somebody doesn't have their mask up high enough, uh, you know, covering their mouth and nose, I point at them and say. Very bad. Uh, my son cranks his music too loud. I stick my head in his room, give him the Hagler glare. Very bad. Uh, I get a spam call. Yeah, you know, I used to ignore those. Now I answer the phone and just say, very bad. Um, and by the way, uh, during last week's interview with Barry and Steve, every single one of us said Ray Leonard won their fight. Wow, that would have gotten the ultimate very bad if Hagler were around to hear it. Yes, absolutely. Do you really give him the Hagler stare, though? <laughs> really? <laughs> I, can can anyone accurately replicate the Hagler glare? Uh, uh, and certainly not me. I'm not the intimidating sort. I, I, I give him my best shot. There you go. That's, that's the best you can do. <laughs> All right. Um, it is a little bit of a marking time podcast this week. It's not very bad. But there's not a tremendous amount of action to cover or to preview, actually. Uh, later on, we will look at Dylan White's one-sided fourth-round win over Alexander Povetkin and Amanda Serrano's stoppage of Daniela Bermudez. Um, we will look ahead to the long-awaited Jamel Herring-Carl Frampton meeting and the return of one of my favorites, Murajan Akhmadaliev. But let's kick things off in style. As we welcome an old friend of the podcast, uh, the former junior middleweight champ and now, of course, Showtime's ringside expert analyst, Raul El Diamante Marquez. Raul, welcome back. Thanks, as always, for joining us on the podcast. I love the introduction in style. In style. And then the <laughs> there you go. Pronunciation, pronunciation of El Diamante. That's, hey, he likes that. Hey, uh, are, are you competing with Barry Tompkins? Because Barry's really <laughs> good at uh, all those Spanish names. So that's, that's, 
That's, that's uh, pretty good. No, no one can compete with Barry Tompkins. <laughs> True. <laughs> Absolutely. There's only one Barry Tompkins. You're right. right. You're right. <laughs> um, okay. So first of all, uh, you are joining us uh, from, I think, it's Shreveport, Louisiana right now. Um, tell yes. us why you're there and what's happening. Well, I'm, I'm here because uh, my son, uh, Giovanni, you know, he's a, a competitor in amateur boxing. Uh, and we're here in the Nationals. Uh, they, they were supposed to happen in December because of the, the pandemic and all that. Early December, they got postponed. And then, uh, of course, my son did catch, you know, being young and being out there, you know, he did catch uh, the, the virus in uh, early January. Uh, but, you know, he recovered pretty fast and stuff. So, uh, yeah, we had, we had a really good camp. And, uh, you know, we're here for the Nationals. Uh, and uh, we're excited. We're really excited. Uh, we've been to a couple of uh, national tournaments, and uh, he's done very well. Uh, Last year, he tried to, uh, you know, make the Olympic team. He lost on in one of the Olympic trials qualifier to the eventual guy that, that made the Olympic team, Delonte Johnson. Uh, game of hell of a fight. It was a split decision. You know, Delonte's got a lot of experience, a lot of international experience. And Giovanni's just turned 20 years old. Uh, and he, you know, he gave him a good fight. So uh, we're, we're really excited about this tournament. He's He's a top 10 seed. There's about, uh, I want to say a little bit over 50 fighters, competitors in his weight class. And uh, he's a uh, number nine seed. And he's also beat some of the guys ahead of him. Uh, I think about two or three guys he's beat. So, you know, we hope that uh, we do well, you know, one fight at a time, like I tell him. Does it feel strange to be sort of back at amateur national tournaments again? Does it bring memories back? And, and, and is it, is it a lot more difficult being a boxing dad than being a boxer? Well, I mean, it does bring a lot of memories. You know, it's uh, it's been 32 years, since 1989 since, you know, and I got to give credit to my father, Arturo, you know, who trained my son, uh, that my dad uh, made me a national champion. In the, back then it was the open division. Now it's called the elite division where age don't matter, just the weight and experience mm. don't matter. Before that, I had won the National Junior Olympics, but it was, you know, age at 14, 15. But, um, yeah, it brings a lot, a lot of memories, man. And you see coaches, you see judges, uh, all kinds of people from the past that, that remember you or, you know, followed you, you know, followed my career. And uh, it's a lot of pressure. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of pressure for for me. I, I, get, I, I get nervous. That's why I don't work the corner. I get really nervous mm-hmm. with my son. Yeah. But, you know, Giovanni, uh, he takes pressure very well, you know, because when he's going to fight, you know, people know he's my son, so they want to check him out. They want to see right. how good he is or, or how bad he is or, you know, yeah. there's always going to be criticism. And uh, I worry about that. I worry that that's going to get to him. But, no, he uh, he's real focused. I mean, he's real confident for this tournament. Um, he's just that type of kid, man. And, and that, you know, I, of course, you know, me and my father, we were biggest critiques, you know, when he – Fight that he's lost, we tell him the truth, you lost. Or fight that he got ripped off, we, bad decision, we got ripped off. Or fights that were close, you did well, we tell him the truth. So, you know, I, I think my son, uh, he's talented. I, I think he's, he's a pretty good fighter. He thinks, he, you know, uh, and, you know, we'll see how this tournament goes. Is turning pro an option you guys are thinking about, or is that uh, not yet? Right now, right now at this point, uh, we're focusing on this national tournament. Uh, we, we're trying to win the nationals and, and hopefully – get on the national team and, you know, uh, start traveling with the national team and competing against different countries. Uh, of course, you know, down the line, I mean, yeah, his goal is to go professional one day, but 
right now we're just uh, focusing on this tournament and, and see how it goes. And and how old is he, Raul? Giovanni just turned 20 years old. Okay. 20 years old, yeah. He just turned 20, and he's got about, I want to say, over 60, 70 fights. Uh, he hasn't lost in a while, you know. The last time he lost was to the guy that made the Olympics. Before that, he hadn't lost in a while. So he, he's, uh, he's doing well. He's doing pretty well. Okay. So, so between uh, you know following him around to tournaments and uh, and your commentary work, you're obviously a busy guy. Uh, I believe you also give private lessons in Houston. Have you ever thought about training or managing pro boxers, or are you happy with the the full plate you have right now? I, actually, I got a full plate, man. I got a full plate. Yeah. Uh, you know, my old, my oldest my oldest son. I got five kids. My oldest son is 28, uh, and then I got Arturo, uh, who was 20, who's 24, and you know he was a professional fighter. We we got him to. 10 and 0 and I was I was managing him you know but mm. and then we got Giovanni and then I got my, I, I got remarried got started all over again I got two little ones uh Liam who's uh three and a half and then I got my baby girl Lena that's two years old so I'm you know and then I have my gym that I run I do private lessons I do boxing classes when I'm in town I run the show uh, of course I got showtime then uh you know my son is competitive in, in boxing um Liam is starting to play soccer now so I'm pretty busy but <laughs> I don't think I have the time or the patience. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yeah. To be a trainer, um, yeah. I, I've worked with different people uh, just there in the gym, and and you know with, with private lessons, just teaching them the basics. I just um, I don't. I, I'm a very impatient guy, <laughs> and I don't think I have the. the you know, it's it, it's it's not a easy. I mean, boxing is a tough sport. You know, and a, yeah. to teach uh, just even the basics, it's. Uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know, so, uh, but I, you know, I was managing my son, Arturo, you know, we had him with top rank for this first eight fights. And then, uh, you know, uh, we, we, you know, we both agreed, uh, we, we got to let go of the contract. You know, we, we just separated, uh, being the good manager that I am. Cause at that point he was 80 no, and it was, uh, just, you know, some fights that they were offering me. And I don't think it was, you know, uh, the right fights for my son at that stage of his mm. career, which, but I understand with, you know, what top rank was doing at that point. So, uh, you know, we, we still, he still fought two more fights. We got him to 10 and 0. And of course the goal was to get him on, on showbox, you know, and I had talked to, uh, you know, Gordon Hall about that, get him on showbox, you know, once he had another two or three fights, but one of the, uh, one of those opponents, you know, the, the, uh, veteran opponents, uh, that went the distance with one of the Olympic guys. Uh, I can't recall at this point, but poked his eye, you know, poked his eye. Mm. And, uh, the, you know, the, it was given a problem. And it, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a detached retina. It was called a corneal abrasion. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it, yeah, it was given a problem. You know, so we just, we just said, you know what, just get, you know, you don't need a box and, you know, just might. It's, it, it, it's kind of sad for him because, and for all of us, you know, because he, he wanted to see how far he could go. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's a dad now. He's got a daughter, my granddaughter, and, you know, he's married. And, uh, you know, he's got a good job. And, you know, boxing is a tough sport, man. So we, yeah. we decided not, not to let him fight anymore. And he agreed to. So, yeah, that's where we're at. Okay. All right. All right. Well, obviously, you mentioned Showbox, and, and that's where we see you most often now. And, and obviously, in that position, yeah. you've seen so many prospects come and go. Yeah. And some make yeah. it. Like you said, boxing's a tough sport. Anything can happen. Some make it, some don't. Yeah. It yeah. looks like one guy who looks like he's, he's got what it takes to make it is Brandon Lee. Uh, we had him on the podcast the other week. 
And we were super impressed with him. I mean, obviously impressed with what he does in the ring, but really impressed with him mm-hmm. out of the ring as well. Let's ask you what we asked Barry and Steve recently. Do you mm-hmm. think he's got the potential to be the real deal or are Eric and I getting a little carried away too early? No, man. I, I Honestly, I love the kid and uh, I, I, I love his dad too, Bobby. You know, me and Bobby had a conversation before. He's like, man, I, I wish I lived in Houston, you know, so you could help us out. Because I'm always, people are always sending me stuff through Facebook and Mm-hmm. Uh, social media, you know, can you help me manage my fighter or train my fighter? And I said, no, I don't, I don't do that. I, I, you know, I just do, you know, showtime. I do the broadcasting and I, and I run a boxing fitness gym. But yeah, I mean, Brandon, uh, I mean, he's uh, he's skilled. I mean, he's he's, he's a, an aggressive fighter with heavy hands, and he's, he's always firing back, you know, and he can hurt you at any time. And I and I really believe that he could be a world champion. He just needs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just more experience under his belt, you know, more seasoning. Uh, you know, he needs those valuable rounds. He needs to go some, you know, good hard rounds yeah. with someone that's going to take him like eight, ten rounds, like yeah. where he's, you know, breathing hard and he's got to dig deep and really deal with some kind of adversity because so far, like, I mean, honestly, like everything has been pretty easy for him. And it's not his fault, you know, because his right. last opponent, uh, Samuel T, a guy that had never been knocked out and, you know, he beat some decent guys on, on showbots like Kenneth Sims. And I remember when he beat Oshaki Foster, he beat uh Sonny Fredrickson. That, that fight was on a showbox, but uh, he lost mm-hmm. to Montana love a real difficult guy yeah. to fight, but he went the distance and he goes out there and just puts him to sleep, man. He paralyzed him. <laughs> he, uh, that, that surprised me, you know, and, and we were talking, I was talking to Brandon, you know, I like the way you took your time when you heard him and it, it, it you heard him and it, and it, you went for the finish, but then you're like, okay, I felt, you know, like, I felt like he said, okay, it looks like it's not time for him to go. He kind of took a step back, yep. got back to the bases with a jab, and then that overhand, all of a sudden, I don't know where, bam, and just put him to sleep, man. It was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, just like you, we've been we've been waiting to see him get tested. We want him to get some rounds in. It, it just hasn't happened yet, uh, but, but we love to see that, when, you know, when prospects do get tested, find out what they're made of, they get hurt or even dropped. And 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 one showbox regular uh, who went through that recently was Xavier Martinez, who was dropped twice yes. uh, in round eight right. by Claudio Marrero. It looked like he was done, came back to win the rest of the rounds and the fight. Did your mm-hmm. feelings mm-hmm. about Martinez change after that fight? And if so, do you rate his chances of success as higher or, or lower than you did beforehand? Not at all. That that was, I mean, uh, that was good. That was good that it happened for Martinez. You know, at that point of his career, what he was like 15 and 0 with 11 knockouts. Uh, again, for him, everything had been relatively very easy. I mean, he had like a couple of quick knockouts on Showbox, and Martinez, uh, he needed that kind of fight. You know, before it did, like I said, it just it was pretty easy for him, and he dealt with a lot of adversity. You know, like you said, he survived two knockdowns. That first knockdown, uh, I thought it was over. I really felt bad for yeah. the kid because, you know, yeah. I mean, I really thought it was over. But he got back up. You know, he went past eight rounds for the first time. And he went a, a tough 12 rounds against Marrero that was a real test. I mean, that guy, uh, I believe he's, you know, he's a, he's a veteran. of. I, I think he's got over 25 fights. Right. So, you know, uh, Martinez showed he could come back and he didn't fold. And for me, you know, I've seen a lot of young prospects in, in fights or even in, in, uh, in, in sparring where they, they quit, man. They quit or they just, they just give up. They fold, you know. And, uh, and I believe that's going to 
make Martinez uh, a better fighter. You know, yeah. that, uh, truly believe that. Yeah. Did 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 you have any fights like that early in your career? I know you got through cuts when I think when you won the title against Stevens and and certainly the fight against Keith Mullins, but you you never had to get up off the deck, did you? Or am I forgetting an early I, fight of yours? I I never did. Not not early in my career. I never did. I mean, I got I got uh, let's see, I got dropped by Jermaine Taylor, but I knew where I was at. I got back up right away. Right. Uh, that was it, pretty much. But I did. I mean, there was it was a, a fight. I mean, back when USA Tuesday Night Fights was around. Uh, I fought a guy named Alex Reels, and I know Alex Reels, he was a top prospect from uh, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I believe he ended up fighting uh, Quincy Taylor for the middleweight title, mm-hmm. or Julian Jackson, one of them, one of them. He fought, he ended up, yeah, and he was a, a, a really power puncher. He, he could crack. At that point, when I fought him, I believe he was like 15-1 and one or something like that on USA uh, Tuesday Night Fights, and, and I went in there, and I, and I knocked him out uh, in the first round. Uh, one, two, you know, and then uh, my right hook. And I and I put him to sleep pretty much, like Sam Team got put to sleep the other night by uh, Brendan Lee. Yeah. Um. So one guy who's left Showbox far behind, seems destined for a very bright future, is is Jerome Boutsenis. Um. Mm-hmm. And he's taking a step up uh, on Showtime Championship boxing on April 10th when he faces off against Sergey Lipinets. Um. What do you think about Lipinets as an opponent at this stage of Ennis's career, and what do you want to see from him? Well, uh, for, I mean, I believe that, uh, you know, Lipinus, you know, he's, uh, he's experienced, you know, he's tough, he's durable. I mean, he's in shape. Uh, he's going to stand in front of him and he's going to come to fight. And that's, that, that works perfect for boot tennis. I really like that fight for him. And, you know, just like any other fighter that has never been into the back half of the fight, I want to see, you know, boots go some quality rounds where he's being pushed. And, uh, you know, I just want to see how he thinks and adapts in, a, in, in difficult moments. We still haven't seen that with him. And, you know, hopefully Lipinitz, because, you know, he's, he's a veteran. He's fought some tough, durable guys, you know, Peterson, uh, Mikey Garcia. Mm. Uh, who else has he fought? You know, he's, he's been in there, you know. So mm. hopefully Lipinitz will take them there. But, you know, I, I, I think highly of Ennis. I mean, I, I had, when we first covered Ennis, and I, and I go way back with, you know, from, with his dad. We know each other from back in the amateur days, and uh, he followed me in the amateurs. I fought up some, you know, guys that he knew and stuff. So when I first saw the kid, I mean, I was, I was really impressed by, by, uh, by Boots, you know, because he, he's, you know, he's highly skilled. I mean, he's a switch hitter. You know, he lefty, righty. He fights really good in the pocket, too. He's got good footwork. I mean, he's got really good reflexes. His instincts are incredible. He's got speed. I mean, He's a combination puncher. I mean, I, I believe the kid has it all. And I think he's, uh, and I'm not just saying it because I know his dad, but I, I mean, I think mm. he's, he's one of the guys that's the future of boxing. Uh, mm. And, you know, he came out of show box. So right. yeah. that's, that's even better for us. We love that. We love that. <laughs> yeah. I know Mr. Gordon Hall loves that. And everybody else, uh, Showbox loves that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, another guy who's in that conversation for possible future of boxing type guys, and in that same division uh, at welterweight is Virgil Ortiz. Uh, we saw him mm-hmm. step up against Maurice Hooker last week. Yeah, he took some shots and yes. struggled a, a little bit, but he, he got the job done against a very good opponent. Um, right now, where would you rank Ortiz and Ennis relative to each other in terms of development and? and can you pick one of them that you think is more likely to have a, a successful career than the other if you had to right now? I mean, look, I mean, they're both talented guys and, and they've been doing what they're supposed to, you know, and uh, Ortiz, you know, he's a physical, aggressive pressure fighter that, that breaks you down, you know, with body shots. He's pretty consistent with his combos and he keeps a busy pace. But I just feel that 
you know, he's one dimension. He fights one way, you know. And, and compared to Ennis, like I said, he's had his skills, and I believe he's, Ennis just has more dimensions to his game, and, you know, he'll give you different looks. And uh, I just think he's a better fighter overall, and he could do more. That's just mm. that's what I think. Right. But uh, I, I believe, you know, I believe Ennis is the better fighter, and maybe down the line, you know, Ortiz could prove that wrong. I mean, right. they're, they're on the right track. You know, there's a lot of names in that division, and uh, maybe they'll meet down the road. Yeah. Right. Yeah, indeed. Um, another young contender we had on the podcast recently was uh, David Benavides, um, who, yes. uh, you know, then a few days after we had him, we saw him stop Ronald Ellis. Um, what's your take on, on him and his potential? And are you concerned about the red flags there, that he's been stripped of his title twice, you know, once for testing positive for cocaine and once for missing weight? Do you, do you think that he's learned lessons there or the fact that he's had these kind of transgressions a couple of times? Is that, is that a worry for you? The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to The Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Well, I mean... You got to give the kid a break. I mean, he, mm. he's been, you know, he turned pro at 16, I believe. And he was mm. fighting in Mexico. And then he became a champion at age 20. Right. And, you know, we all make mistakes, you know, especially at that age. I mean, uh, you know, for the Ellis, Ronald Ellis fight, I mean, he got himself ready. You know, he had like a three-month camp. I think he was in Big Bear for two months. Before that, he was training in, in uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, where he trains, you know, and I, I believe you know he changed his diet. Uh, he, I know the the week of the fight uh, when he got to the Mojia Casino, he was already on weight, mm-hmm. and I think he's I think he's matured. You know, he's showing a lot of maturity. Plus, you know, he's a father now. I mean, if you don't mature when you become a father, then something yeah. <laughs> something is wrong. But you know, he just needs now that yeah, he did it one time. He just needs to be consistent. You know, stay in the gym. You know, you know, just training between fights, watches eating habits and just be a professional 24 yep. seven. And I know that he, he knows that he's in a division 168 that has a lot of big names on there, a lot of names. And, you know, we all know that he wants to fight the king of the super motor division. And, you know, of course that's Canelo Alvarez. So he knows yeah. what's at stake. Mm. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned like this, there's great names in and around that division and and the couple that are mentioned, particularly in the context of possible opponents of Benavides and possible opponents for Canelo, Caleb Plant, Jamal Charlo's down at 160, but could probably easily make 168. How do you sort of see those three, Plant and Charlo and Benavides, relative to each other? And if you had to pick one to give Canelo at least a tough fight or maybe upset him, which which would you pick? I mean, I think, honestly, guys, I think Caleb Plant, uh, uh, Charlo moving up to 168, because I know he, he talked about moving eight pounds. Uh, they, they all know that they have to fight each other one way or another to get the, mm-hmm. big, the, big, the big name. You know, they won Canelo. That's the big money. Uh, I can't really pick. You know, I think, I think they each uh, are talented in their own kind of way. 
But, you know, since we're talking about Benavides, I think he's, you know, he's definitely an aggressive combination punching machine. You know, he, he throws a lot of punches. I, I just think he needs more strength, you know, strength up more, uh, get more, uh, more, more power in his, in his shots. Because he, mm. he throws a lot of combinations. He keeps a busy pace. But either one of those guys that you named, David Benavides, uh, Caleb Plant, Charlo, maybe they need to fight each other, you know, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and whoever wins that, that the, you know, uh, when they fight each other, whoever wins deserves a fight against Canelo. Because at the end of the day, Canelo, I mean, he is the star. And, he, you know, he's going he's gonna to fight who he wants to fight. Yeah. So I look at it that way. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we can't let you go, Raul, uh, without asking you about one of this week's biggest uh, breaking news stories. Uh, your old Olympic roommate, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, announced this week that at age 48, he will return to the ring on July 3rd, opponent to be determined. Uh, he hasn't fought in more than 12 years. He's floated comeback talk a couple of times before this, and Kieran and I hadn't taken it very seriously prior to now. Um, so... You know, Oscar. Yeah. Do you think this is serious and it'll happen? And, and as long as I'm asking you about Oscar, what about you? Would Would you ever consider uh, joining this comeback circuit that's going on? I, I, I was gonna say when you told me he was coming back, I was gonna say so. I guess he's giving me four months to get ready for the fight. You know, <laughs> there you go. I'll be ready. Nice. Okay. Wait, April, May, June, July. I stay in the gym. You know, uh, we just got to come up with a, a weight. You know, I know he's talking about 165. I, I've, you know, I, I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, I, I've, I've challenged Oscar plenty of times. So the first time that he talked about coming back, I even tagged him on the video on Twitter and whatever, you know, social media. Uh, I've challenged him plenty of times on different uh, podcasts too, and mm-hmm. I'm challenging him again on uh, on your uh, podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's the only fight, of course. That's the only fight that I would come back for because, you know. Uh, I have my reasons, you know, when I, back when I was champion and uh, we, we were both fighting for top rank. And of course, I fought on, on a couple of Oscars, a uh, pay-per-view, big pay-per-view event. And uh, I know at one point that was that was top rank's goal. That was Bob Rand's goal to match me and him together because, you know, promotion was already there. We were we were Olympic uh, roommates and now we meet in the ring, you know, so we were still promoted that way. You know, uh, we were Olympic roommates and then we meet in the ring 35 years later or whatever years it is, you know, 36 right. years late, whatever. After the, no, actually, no, it's, uh, I guess about 20, 26 28 years, later. 28, that 26, right. yeah. Yeah, 20, 28, 28. Right. There we go. 28 <laughs> years later. And, uh, I would love that. I would love that. I mean, uh, he was my Olympic, uh, roommate. And not only that, he was my roommate. All through, like when we're on the national team, I was I got on the national team in 1989. Oscar didn't come on the scene until, until I believe late '90, early '91. Mm. And uh, you know, we traveled all over the world together, competed against different countries. You know, Italy, in Australia, uh, Germany, just you know, all over the states. Uh, we were always uh, together. So, is is there any personal dislike between you and Oscar? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't talk to him, obviously, you know, I don't, you know, I haven't seen him in years. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any personal dislike. I mean, we were just, we were good friends back then and I don't know what happened, you know, just things fell out. And, uh, all I know is that, you know, when we're in the, you know, uh, the Olympic, I mean the, yeah, the Olympic training center in dorms. Uh, you know, I was the alpha dog in the room. You know, I was the guy. I was the guy that ran huh. the room, you know, like, mm. and uh, 
So, and I, you know, of course, Oscar was always a smaller weight class. You know, he was 125 and then 132. I was 147 and then one moved up to 156 and won the Nationals at that weight class. But, um, I mean, I don't dislike them, but, you know, I, I, I would love a fight with him. Why, why wouldn't I? <laughs> right. I always have. Right. I always have. You could do, make a lot of uh, improvements to the gym with the money you'd make from from that fight. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's not even about the money. It's just I, I love a challenge. And, uh, mm. of course, we know that that fight, you know, will bring a lot, you know, uh, you know, money to, to Oscar, you mm. know, because he is the, the golden boy and stuff. But uh, since, all you know, you see Holyfield, Tyson, you see all these older guys coming back to fight each other. And uh, I saw Fernando Vargas already challenging Oscar, you know, hey, let's do it. And mm. I'm sure other people will be challenging him and, why wouldn't I? You know, it's a fight that could have happened uh, years ago when he was looking for another title at 154, but it never happened. And, uh, and I mean, I'm not saying we're fighting for another title, but, hey, it would be fun. I would love that fight. I would yeah. love to do it. So, so when, when Tyson fought Jones, they did it officially as an exhibition. Um, do, you, do you have in mind whether you'd rather do this as a real full-on three-minute rounds, 10-round fight, no headgear, or, or would you prefer nah, to do it? Go- no, I, I want to kick his butt. I okay. really want to kick his ass. You know? Yeah, yeah. We we don't need we don't need no sparring. We don't need big gloves. Let's, let's do the real thing. You know, like let's right. put the small gloves on and you know, hey, this boxing. You know, we don't need a, we don't need a sparring match. Right. Well, I, what I've always said about when guys who are uh, in your age range uh, decide to decide to come back, that I always prefer to see them at least fighting guys in that same age range than taking right. on the, the guy in his 20s in his prime or whatever. So uh, if, I, if Oscar's going to come back, Raul Marquez sounds like a pretty good opponent to me. I, I totally agree. I mean, that's what I, when he was talking about fighting uh, Triple G and a lot of the yeah. young guys like Charlo, I mean, I'm like, this guy crazy you know I, I that didn't make sense to me and of course it's like you're right you're absolutely right if i was going to come back i'm not even coming look i'm i would come back to fight someone in my age category you know but not one of the young bucks i mean hey that look even sp- sparring with giovanni uh, moving around his angles his his speed the way he is i mean it's hard to catch him so <laughs> imagine you know imagine somebody like charlo or a tall full-blown middleweight super middleweight like you know, canelo that that I'm telling you, it, it, I don't. I don't know where he gets those crazy ideas. Uh, mm-hmm. He needs to find somebody his own, you know, in the same age category. Yep. Yeah. What do you think's going on? Why do you think he's so fixated and, and talking about? It? Do you feel like he he feels like maybe he left something on the field there that he's got uh, an itch to scratch? Maybe he just misses the you know the attention. Uh, I don't. I I don't understand. Uh, I really don't understand why he would come back and want to fight the young bucks. You know, that, that's yeah. another thing. Now, if you want to make some money and, you know, promote, I mean, look, look, all those, all these YouTuber guys are making crazy money fighting right. each other. Right. Uh, and Oscar does have a name. I mean, he is the golden boy and I respect that, you know, and, sure. and you've got to have the right partner to dance with. And that's me. That's me guys. And if he wants to do go. it, I'm here. Nice. And all he right. knows it too. You know, he knows it, but, I mean, to go out there and you know take a chance. I mean, he's got he's got kids. You know, he's got a family. I mean, he 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 don't need to take a chance of getting hurt. You know, fighting some of the young guys. That's that's just my opinion. And I think I mean, you guys would agree with me too. I mean, why would he fight some of the young lions? It's, it's, I think it's insane. I think it's crazy. 
Right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I have it on good authority that he never misses an episode of the Showtime Boxing That's Podcast, right. so he knows now that you're calling him out. There's He, right. he can't oh, claim he doesn't it. know. I love it. There you go. Oscar, let's go, baby. Let's go, right. Oscar de la Hoya. You know who the alpha dog was. You know who the real man is. You know who ran the show in the dorms back in the days. Oh, I got so many stories. That maybe, maybe if the fight happens, you know, I could, I could, all those stories will come out. You know, I got a lot of good stories. You know, when he, we were in the uh, Olympic uh, uh, training center in Colorado Springs. I mean, we spent six, seven months out of the year training there when we traveled to different countries. You know, training there for four weeks, five weeks, and then we traveled to different countries or even compete in different tournaments here in the state. So it would be, it would be an exciting uh, press tour promotion. You know. Uh, and I would make it fun. I know I would. It sounds I like you've still like got the it, smack. You, yeah, it sounds like you've still <laughs> got the smack talking chops there. Like that. I've always been, I've always been some kind of a smack talking type of guy, but not a little bit more reserved. You know, some guys really come out and start all the more. Does this sound right? Educated smack? Is that is that yeah. like an educated? Okay, guy? there you yeah. go. Okay. Yeah, and I, you know all the cussing and all that. I'm I'm not into that. Uh, right. But you know, just you know, educated smack that really things that are true that are that are facts you know uh, you know everything i would be saying would be true nice. el diamante yeah. and el nino de oro and we'll have the uh, we'll have the muy bien we'll, we'll have <laughs> more on the on the showtime boxing podcast so there you go yes. how about that <laughs> something to look forward to but until then all the very best for giovanni and um you know do come back Thank and let us know how everything goes we'll be uh, following his progress and all the best and um go off and while you're in louisiana enjoy yourself some cajun food and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon my friend thank you guys thank you for having me on Thanks, Thanks for Raul. joining us, Raul. All right. Uh, let's move on from some speculative in-ring action featuring our podcast guests to some actual fights. Uh, as we noted at the top of the show, not a lot to look back on, but there were a couple of cards of some significance. On Thursday from San Juan, Puerto Rico on Ring City, USA, Amanda Serrano showed once again why she is universally acknowledged as one of the very best if not the best, female boxer pound for pound with an impressive ninth round stoppage of Daniela Bermudez. Uh, two quick body shots caused Bermudez to turn her back, walk away, and drop to her knees for the count. And on Saturday, from the boxing hotspot of Gibraltar, Dylan White gained revenge for his stoppage loss to Alexander Povetkin last year, uh, scoring a knockout after four dominant rounds, uh, during which Povetkin, whether due to age or possibly his recent bout with COVID, simply never looked right. Uh, Eric, your thoughts about either or both of those? Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm walking around with heavier pockets today after betting on White to win by knockout. Uh, and, and rarely have I had less sweating to do over a boxing yeah. bet. Yeah, from the opening bell, almost every sign pointed to Povetkin getting stopped. Uh, I think, unfortunately... I'm pinning the loss more on Povetkin being washy than on anything spectacular White did. It's a shame. I mean, White fought well. He, he used his jab brilliantly, showed off his power in both hands. But the big takeaway for me was that Povetkin, who didn't really have it anymore the first time they fought, right. but landed one perfect punch, just doesn't have it anymore. Uh, he isn't pulling the trigger as quickly as he used to. He was marking up and swelling up easily. His punch resistance isn't what it used to be. He's 41 years old. I really hope he retires. Uh, yeah. he, ha he had a very good career for a little while there, was possibly the second best heavyweight in the world. Hopefully he can be satisfied with that. And White, meanwhile, 
gets back to where he was going into the first fight. Uh, he's he's somewhere around the number six or so heavyweight. Uh, he's in his prime at 32 years old. He fits in nicely with just about any heavyweight opponent, and the British heavyweight scene has rarely been hotter. So yeah. he needed this win. He got it emphatically. He has some good earning years ahead of him, I think. Uh, as for Serrano, uh, she looked great. She's that rare women's boxer who consistently scores knockouts working yes. two-minute rounds. Um, Bermudez was a very good opponent, and while the rounds were competitive, the fight wasn't close. And I don't know if there's ever been a more compelling women's pound-for-pound pound debate than what we have yeah. right now. Uh, you can make a case for Serrano. You can make a case for Claressa Shields. You can make a case for Katie Taylor. And I really don't think any of the three cases is clearly stronger or weaker than any of the others. And if they're smart and their promoters are smart, they'll work with that and hype up every fight for any of the three of them as a point of comparison as they each try to prove they're the best right now. Yeah, Povetkin, he just... Yeah, he he just looked kind of sharp from, from, from the beginning, didn't he? And mm-hmm. I sort of made a similar note to you in that outside of that terrific left uppercut that ended things in the first fight, this, in a sense, was just that first fight turned up to 11 and right. that Vietkin had more months to, of, of aging to add on and White came into this with a greater focus and determination to, to, to right that wrong, if you will. Um, I mean, at the same time, we've t- we have talked briefly in the past about uh, how COVID can have lingering effects and apparently his Povetkin's COVID uh, infection was so bad that you know he had to put off the fight the rematch not once but twice right um and it is asking a lot we still don't know a lot about it and it is asking an awful lot for somebody to perform as a as an elite athlete uh after that particularly when they're over 40 particularly when they seem to be on the downside anyway mm-hmm. i agree with you i do hope he retires he he doesn't look like he has anything left there it's been a, an interesting and I don't know, a bit of a strange career on some levels i think povetkins you know i remember when he beat chris bird i thought wow this guy is this guy's going to be a monster at the top of the heavyweight division. And I don't know that he ever really truly recovered from hiring Teddy Atlas. I was right just going to say that <laughs> that's sort of the thing that that slowed his ascent, maybe even derailed it to some extent. Yeah. A little bit, right? Because Teddy did what Teddy does. And the first thing he did was just try to destroy his confidence to tell him he needed <laughs> right. to build him up. And I'm not sure he ever quite recovered. And then, of course, there were the drug suspensions and so on. Um, but uh, also... Uh, Big credit to White for just turning off the switch and becoming immediately gracious afterward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not sure why it was beyond the ability of Povetkin's corner to provide their own stool, but White walked over to his corner, grabbed a stool, and carried it over. Um, uh, and just instantly, it was almost as if White knew during the fight, and I'm sure he did. He knew better than the rest of us that Povetkin wasn't right during that fight because he just instantly turned into a, a really gracious uh, opponent and, and good credit to him for that. And yeah, Serrano, I'm a big fan. Uh, have been for a time, and I made the same note as you. Any female fighter who can score that many KOs um, is either only fighting absolute scrubs or is a first-rate fighter, and Serrano's a first-rate fighter. Um I'm a little worried that she might not get the big fight that she deserves. There had been talk for some time and it nearly got made, the idea of her moving up to meet Katie Taylor. Mm-hmm. But I would guess the money now is on Taylor herself moving up to fight Jessica McCaskill, which might leave Serrano in the cold a little bit, at least for a while. But um, she's a really fabulous fighter, Amanda Serrano. 
Yeah, she is. Uh, all right, so that's two fight reviews. Uh, just two fights to preview this week as well. In Dubai, Carl Frampton and Jamel Herring finally meet for their off-delayed junior lightweight clash. While in Uzbekistan, Murajan Akhmadaliev returns to the ring for the first time in 15 months to defend the 122-pound belts he took from Daniel Roman last time out. He meets Ryosuke Iwasa. Uh, Kieran, what are your hopes and expectations from these two bouts? I'm not entirely sure what to expect from Herring Frampton anymore, to be honest with you. Um, a few years ago, I'd have made Frampton a pretty big favorite. But over the last couple of years, you know, Herring's the one who's put up you know, the better performances against better opposition. Frampton seems to have at best plateaued and, and, and I think it's probably on the downslope. And then you add to that, you know, you've got this recent history of, of, of hand problems that Frampton has had exacerbated by the apparent accident that he had in that hotel lobby. Right. And, and even this rematch was already scheduled to have happened, but was delayed for a little bit more to allow Frampton's hands to recover. So you wonder about that and how much of a factor that's going to be. And Frampton's been talking already about the fact that if he doesn't win this fight, he'll retire. And once you have fighters starting to talk about retiring, um, you know, that that often sort of send, tends to be, uh, you know, self-reinforcing prediction a little bit. Um, Awasa, I think, is a is a good opponent for Ahmad Aliyev. He's a former Titleist. Um, he's only had a few losses. Uh, two of them to TJ Doheny and early in his career to Shinsuke uh, Yamanaka, eminently forgivable. But he also had a loss to Lee Haskins in there. And Haskins, apart from the fact that he's from Bristol, England, which makes him in, inherently a, a fine person, um, <laughs> you know, he, he's he's not the kind of fighter to whom you should be losing if you really want to make an impression on, on Ahmed Aliyev. So I, I think, um, you know, add to that the fact that the fight is taking place in Tashkent, and I fully expect the uh, the MJ train to keep on rolling uh, after that fight. Yeah, I'm looking ahead at, at this weekend. It's a little like the weekend we just had, that bit of a slowish weekend for the sport of boxing. These are both good, solid fights where the winner is not predetermined, but mm. where I can't quite get excited. You know, the, these are both right. that one notch below me trying to carve out time to be able to watch either of these fights live. Akhmedaliev is certainly the highest upside guy of the four that are on display, so I'm probably slightly more interested in, in his fight, although uh, it does appear Awasa is a clear underdog there. Um, I'd still very much like to see an Akhmedaliev-Danny Roman rematch. Uh, yeah. Maybe this leads to that. Uh, but yeah, Frampton-Herring uh, with Frampton 34 and Herring 35 feels like a loser-leaves-town match. Um, mm. if, if either guy loses decisively... I think his time in the top 10 is done. As you said, Frampton is saying that if he loses decisively, uh, he, he intends to possibly walk away. But it, it's a very even fight on paper and at the sports books. Um, I'm seeing Frampton listed as a tiny minus 136 favorite. Herring is the tiny plus 108 underdog. Mm. So a pretty close to even money. Good, solid fight. Clearly a must win for both guys. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the main event of our new segment also features some upcoming bouts. Not yet set in stone, but certainly something potentially to be excited about. Uh, one of the sports sanctioning bodies has effectively ordered a four-man tournament to crown an undisputed Lord of the Superflies, uh, with Trisiketsu Rongvisai taking on Carlos Quadras and Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez facing off in a rubber match with the winners to then meet. Eric, we talked last week about whether it's fair to say or not that the top fighters today don't face each other. And you specifically mentioned the Chocolatito Estrada Sorong Visay Quadras round robin as a counterpoint to that accusation. So the fact that this is sort of being mandated to take place, 
is this one of those rare occasions where we actually have to take a slug of whiskey or something and grit our teeth and actually give an alphabet body some props? No, absolutely Yay. not. <laughs> no props, no whiskey, no need to grit teeth. Uh, this calls to mind the very famous Chris Rock bit. I take care of my kids. You're supposed to take care of your kids. It, it's, it's that. It, it shows how pathetic the alphabets typically are, that anyone would congratulate them or thank them for telling the best fighters in a division to fight each other. You know, remove the alphabets from the equation, and some version of this tournament was happening next anyway. This is how these guys can make good money, fighting each other. Is it possible that if the alphabet doesn't pull its franchise champion shenanigans so it can order this exact combination of bouts that they mix and match differently. Yeah. Um, Sriseket was wanting to jump in and face Estrada for a third time. So maybe that happens instead. And guess what? Uh, that's a great fight. <laughs> so yeah. their, their first two fights were both outstanding. So it wouldn't have been a, a big loss if we'd gotten that instead, but instead we are apparently probably getting Estrada Chocolatito three and you can't go wrong with that, certainly. And then we get Strisaket against Quadras, which is significant because it completes the round robin. That's the only pairing we haven't seen yet. Uh, and boy, does Quadras need a win. He's boy, yes. uh, he's 0-3 with three tough competitive losses uh, against great fighters in this round robin so far. So, yeah, this tournament is great, assuming it happens as planned. Let's celebrate it. But let's do so without making the Alphabet Group a big part of the story. You know, c congratulations, Alphabet Group. You told... Four fighters who never shy away from a challenge and who can only make money fighting each other to fight each other. C <laughs> congratulations on not screwing it up by inserting an unworthy mandatory challenger into the mix. Is, is, is that where we are? If so, then uh, well done. Take a victory lap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what does it say about them and their rules and the way it's structured that in their mind, the only way to make this happen is to take the guy who's the champion and not make him champion anymore and elevate him to some other fantasy level. So that <laughs> it's like, it's just, it's yeah, anyway. And I should put the word yet in where you said they congratulations for not screwing it up. Right. <laughs> right. There's plenty of time. The to year screw is something young, my up. friends. Yes. Yep. Okay, uh, there's a lot uh, to cover in our news undercard, good and bad. Uh, you and I have frequently expressed our hope that Javante Tank Davis can overcome his occasionally self-destructive tendencies and maximize his potential in the ring. That hope took a bit of a knock with the news last week that he has been charged with 14 counts following a November hit-and-run accident that left four people injured. Jail time is on the table. That may or may not happen, but Either way, this gets the Marvin Hagler very bad when you read all the details of what Davis is accused of. Uh, in other news, it has been announced that former junior middleweight titleist Tony Harrison will be facing Bryant Perella on Fox on April 17th in Los Angeles, Harrison's first bout since the death of his father from COVID last April. Also confirmed, Andy Ruiz Jr. versus Chris Ariola on May 1st from Dignity Health Park in Carson, California on Fox pay-per-view. Arislandi Lara will return on the free TV portion of the undercard against Thomas Cornflake Lamana for a 154-pound belt. Uh, also announced, uh, and you and I are both thrilled about this, I know, uh, is the first Bridgerweight title fight, which is a rematch between Brian Jennings and Oscar Rivas, about that Rivas won by 12th round KO in January 2019. Apparently not happening after first not happening and 
then happening all within the span of the past week uh, is the projected Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield exhibition, which, as an eagle-eyed listener advised us a few weeks back, had been penciled in for the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami on May 29th. Kieran, a whole lot of news items there, some of them more serious than others. Anything you want to weigh in on among those headlines? Um, so to pick the last one first, the Tyson Holyfield fight slash non-fight slash fight slash non-fight. Um, <laughs> so apparently the two sides couldn't come to an agreement despite the, the kind of sums we're talking about, the purses being talked about, at least the total purse, somewhere in the region of $25 million. Um, so apart from his exhibition against Roy Jones, Tyson hasn't fought since 2005. Holyfield hasn't fought since 2011. And they're holding out for more money for an exhibition because $25 million isn't enough. Um, which brings us to my tweet of the week. Ah, okay. From our friend Sergio Mora, who wrote simply, and he did he posted this right after the Oscar de la Hoya news that we talked about earlier. Quote, what a time to be a legend past his prime. And he is not wrong. <laughs> it's a glorious, <laughs> glorious day to be a long-retired but well-known fighter. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I didn't uh, even notice that tweet, but so there was no further context. It was nope. so. So we don't know whether Sergio was possibly trying to loop himself in. I mean, I, I think he knows he's not quite a legend, but yeah. is it possible he was trying to suggest something about? Uh, uh, as long as all these legends are making money, I don't think so. He, there wasn't any further follow up or anything. He did, I think, he posted something about like a re, he retweeted uh, something about one tweet about the Oscars making his mic drop announcement, and then just followed it up. I, I interpreted it more on the, you know, sort of uh, 1950s dad sitting at the breakfast table reading the newspaper while smoking his pipe and seeing a news <laughs> item and going, "I tell you, son, it's a hell of a time to be yes. a." legendary fighter passes prime so yeah yeah he, he's right i mean that you know what the numbers that tyson jones did just opened the door for all sorts of stuff and uh it does kind of blow my mind that not that not that tyson might try to hold out for more money um yeah. because you know he's he's just been through all this uh he made a bunch of money against jones as far as we know he's in okay shape these days financially but i feel like Holyfield, if you're getting a multi-million dollar offer with the financial uh, issues that we've heard he's had uh, since since the end of his boxing career, I don't I don't know where you're going to make more money than this for for one training camp and one night's work. <laughs> Seriously. Um, as for the rest of the news, let's do, do all the serious stuff. Uh, the Javante story. It's uh, he Javante just keep failing to show the maturity we hope he, he's finally going to show. I mean, this wasn't his only incident last year, of course. Mm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the details of the incident. And if folks haven't seen it, the basic summary is, you know, it's not good at all. He he was identified as the driver of a Lamborghini that went through a red light, struck another car, went into the, the fence of a convenience store. And then he allegedly abandoned the car and took off a Toyota Corolla, pulled up. He he jumped into that and took off. Not one element of this shows any kind of good judgment or maturity. Um, I mean, apart from going through a red light, apart from hitting somebody else. I mean, do you think that no one's going to notice a Lamborghini stuck in the fence of a convenience store and no one's going to figure out, like, from the plates who it is, who left it there? Um 
as as you noted when we were texting about this, you talked about you know some of the prison time. You know, plenty of folks were wrote that the charges carry a com- possible combined penalty of seven years in jail. But as you noted when we were talking about it, any sentences are likely to run concurrently, not consecutively, and we're looking at months, not years, if he does go to jail. But the behavior that has put him in this place was poor, um, and we keep hoping that that Javante is going to get it together. Uh, and and there are months where he looks like he's doing it, and then he, and then he pulls this off. So um, let us hope this is the last one that, that this this sort of scares him straight. Yeah. Um, and then finally, on a lighter note, uh, I truly cannot think of a more appropriate advertisement for the Bridge of Weight division than that its inaugural title fight is between a guy who hasn't won since 2018 and a guy who, until the other week, hadn't won since he beat that same guy back in 2019. Oh, Alphabet Bodies, we began this segment hinting that maybe, just maybe, it was time to give you some credit, but you just keep on being you. Yeah. I, I have to listen back to when we first talked about Bridger Weight, but I I think that Bryant Jennings was the name that I threw out there as the type of fighter who might fight for a Bridger Weight title mm-hmm. because all of the actual top 30 or so heavyweights and cruiserweights wouldn't have any interest um so uh yeah that's where we're headed and yep, uh yep. it's <laughs> living living right down to all of our expectations indeed i know get me wrong i love bryant jennings as i have expressed before uh not only is he a great interview and a great guy to talk to but ever since that time the brian campbell and i got stuck in an elevator with him right. in new york city we'd be tight love me <laughs> yes. some brian jennings but still yeah yeah, that was that was a career high point for him, really. I think stuck in the oh, for him, so you guys. Yes, 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 yes. All right, uh, we conclude the show now with me assigning Kieran his homework. Uh, Mulvaney has to make a top five list next week. Professor Raskin will determine the topic. Uh, I think this is a fun one, but I can't take full credit for it. The credit primarily goes to one of our listeners who emailed me, uh, Sam Rose. I'm polishing it up a little bit and putting some parameters on it, but the root idea is all Sam's. Uh, Here it is, Kieran. Next week, you will present to the world the all-time top five beat-the-count moments, which is to say the five greatest getting knocked down and getting off the deck moments. Uh, Insert insert Chumbawamba music here. Um, So (laughs) here are the parameters. Obviously, we're looking at big knockdowns here where a punch landed that looked like it could have or should have finished the fight, but the fighter got up and fought on. And and here's the parameter I'm adding, although it's an obvious one, I think. He has to have fought on and fought back. So, for example, here's one that doesn't qualify. Fernando Montiel versus Nonito Donera. I, I don't know how in the hell Montiel beat that count after taking that knockdown. But he did, and the fight was allowed to continue, and Nonito ran across the ring and landed two more punches, and the ref stopped it. So getting off the deck didn't count for much. Montiel didn't get out of the round, so it doesn't qualify for the list. The fighter who is knocked down doesn't have to come back and win the fight to qualify for this list, although it's certainly good if he does come back and win the fight. He just has to improbably get up and fight back or survive the round. Uh, got okay. it? Makes sense? Any questions on that? That makes, that makes total sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so by the same by the same nature, Curtis Stevens somehow peeling himself off the canvas against Gennady Golovkin doesn't count because even though he made it out of the round, he still got the snot beaten out of him, for example. Right, that, that's another one that, yeah, doesn't, you have to, 
you know, you don't have to come back and win the fight, but you have to come back and, and do a little Compete. something. Yes. Right. Yeah. If it's gotcha. basically all credit for getting up from a knockdown that looked like it was going to end it. But right. if there was no reversal of fortune whatsoever that followed, it doesn't quite qualify for this all time greatest beat the count moments. OK, I like this. This is a bit of a challenging one. It's fun. I can think of a couple already. Yep. <laughs> um, one, one that pops to mind actually involves a, a guest we had, a, a Hall of Fame guest uh, you know, who wasn't one of the fighters, if you know what I mean. But I think you'll think I think you'll figure it out. Um, uh, and then there's an, another very obvious one. But yeah, this is actually going to have to require some thinking. I like that. Perhaps, perhaps. Although, uh, of course, uh, the listeners, uh, you guys can always help out. Tweet ideas at, at Kieran. Make it easier for him. Make him do a little less thinking if, if you have any ideas that are coming to mind. Yes, I'm all about that, actually. <laughs> Strong engagement. No, that's a fun one. And uh, thanks very much to Sam for suggesting that one. So, yeah. That, yeah, that is good. All right. That will do it for this week's edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Many thanks again to Raul Marquez for joining us and for uh, getting the clock running on uh, his challenge of Oscar De La Hoya. Uh, we will be back next week with a full breakdown of the April 10th Showtime Championship Boxing Triple Header, headlined by Boots Ennis, taking on Sergei Lipinets. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. Series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean and a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.